good early pressure from the Tigers. Lochran really haven't had a foothold in the game so far. Brady, now for Myler, out wide for Figueroa. And Figueroa whips in a dangerous cross, and it's in the back of the net for Hull City, and it's just what they needed, an early goal. It's the perfect start for Hull City. It's 1-0 on the night. We are all square on aggregate. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under, the, the 2010s or the flashback series as we've been calling it. I'm your host Alex and with me I have Brad. How are you Brad? Good, thanks mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. I figured while we had this uh, this break over the World Cup, we'd delve back into our series looking back at our uh, city adventures from uh, the last, well, the 2010s, I guess, just about 10 years ago though. Um, so it was a, a pretty interesting season um, to start off with. I guess before we delve too much into the city side of things, given that we are in a World Cup break, um, I thought we could discuss or, or reminisce or, uh, any memories that we might have of our city players that went over to the World Cup in Brazil as it was back then. Um, you know, it, it's easy to sort of forget or underappreciate sometimes having city players at the World Cup, given we have none uh, this time around, we could have had a couple if Ali and Tete and Elder hadn't been injured in inopportune times. But back then, we had Jelovic leading the line for Croatia in their first game against Brazil. We had Figueroa with Honduras, um, and we were sort of almost, you'd say, a mid-table Premier League side. So it was actually pretty exciting back then to have these sort of big names representing us at the World Cup. Do you have any any memories of the players at the World Cup or any thoughts on on how that all went? Yeah, look, not a lot, but I do remember it was interesting watching Figueroa play. The only reason why I was watching the game was because he was a City player. I had no real interest in whether Honduras were going to make it or not. Um, but it was just really interesting, the fact that, yeah, one of your players was on the biggest stage there is. Yeah, that's actually a really a good point. And I was thinking that the other night, talk, uh, watching the England-Iran game and thinking how much more enjoyable it would have been. It was still a fine game to watch. But if um, if Ali had been playing for Iran, just the added sort of interest and the added intrigue around that fixture. Because as you say, like having a having a City player out there on the world's biggest stage just makes it uh, th- that little bit more exciting. Um, especially for Yellow. Yeah, you're right. Wait. You just end yeah, up sorry. watching a game that you would never normally watch. Like I still remember watching a Indian Premier League game because Bernard Mendy was running around. <laughs> you know, like it's a different... Um, it's almost a good game to watch because you don't really care about the result or anything. You're just yeah. player-watching. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, Jelovic playing in the opening game against Brazil, um, unfortunately didn't get a goal for Croatia in the tournament. But, um, yeah, yeah, another one where that was such a high-profile game and, and to have a City player representing representing us there was, uh, was pretty exciting. Um, and, yeah, look, it's a shame that for this World Cup we sort of started the season with three different players who potentially could have travelled over for the tournament, um, all of them missing out for various reasons. Um, but I guess that's maybe a positive for City that they can refresh and, and come back stronger than ever for, uh, for the December onwards stretch of the season. Yeah, agree. Um, okay, so yeah, 2014, 2015, um, we've called this a uh, European adventure. It was a pretty brief adventure. I, I sort of picked the audio to, to kick off the episode from that locker and fixture at the KCOM or might have been the KC as it was back then, 
um, where unfortunately we did win on the night, but uh, it didn't let us progress through to the group stages of the Europa League. Um, I, don't, I don't want this episode to be too negative because, it, you know, it was a relegation season, so there will be some element of negativity around it. But the excitement around that first European campaign was, I mean, I remember sitting up in bed. There was no streams back then. It was just radio broadcast from BBC Humberside. And I remember just listening to the um, the radio broadcasts of these games because it was just so exciting to have City playing in Europe. It was, and I mean, none of us years before would have even thought playing European football other than potentially a friendly was ever going to happen. Um, and I suppose in a way with the FA Cup result, it was sort of by default, let's say, mm. that we ended up in there. But who cares? You've got to be thereabouts. And the fact that we made an FA Cup final was awesome enough but to then end up uh, getting to Europe is something pretty special. Yeah, and, and, and to win the fixture as we did, um, even though we couldn't progress, to win a fixture in Europe was um, pretty exciting too. City fans getting to travel over to um, to various parts of Europe as well, to Belgium and um, um, and, and elsewhere in Europe as well was, was pretty exciting. Um, I guess on the negative side of things or the more critical side of things, were you disappointed? I mean, there's a lot of supporters who blame Bruce or are critical of Bruce for the way he handled that campaign and perhaps didn't take it as seriously as he could have uh, sort of in the name of preserving our, um, our position in the Premier League by um, sort of resting players, rotating the squad for the European games. And I, I sort of famously remember, I think it was a game against Stoke or it might have been the Villa fixture was after the European game where we'd rotated everyone in the um, Europa League, got knocked out of Euro, Euro, of the Europa League and then we, I think, lost to Villa the following weekend. So... Uh, hindsight didn't exactly help us too much. No, look, and I think you, you would know as well, going back at the time, I think we were all pretty emotional about mm. whether or not we were playing our strongest teams and and those sorts of things. But I think probably in hindsight, I think whilst it was great to get there and sure, even winning a game, fantastic. But most of us probably thought we were dreaming a bit that we were going to get through those we we actually come in in the we don't come through in the qualifying groups, do we? We came off actually in the playoff groups, I think. Yeah, so, that's right. I, th I think it was like the there was like the third round of qualifying, which we won against Trenkin, and then there was the fourth or the final qualifying or whatever it was called. Yeah, so I think probably we were all quite realistic that we would love to have got into that group stage, um, and that was probably the dream, if you like. But I think at the time we were so sort of focused that we belonged in the Premier League. You know, we just just made an FA Cup final. We got back there. We were going to be one of these teams that could last more than a couple of seasons and, and do effectively what a, a Burnley had done or someone else had done at the time. But I think probably Bruce may have, maybe in a way, mate, I think he, he probably still didn't have the squad even then that he thought he had to do two campaigns and that's why he actually made those pretty key decisions. But I think in hindsight, I think we did have the squad to be able to say, well, look, we'll play our best 11 each week and we're not resting anyone. If someone can't make it, someone will step up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, um, that's really interesting. Cause yeah, it's, it's funny sort of casting your mind back to the start of that season. Yeah. As you say, coming off an FA Cup final, um, signing some pretty, high quality or high caliber players or highly um, recognized players, I might say, instead of 
the impact they actually had at City. Um, and you, you kind of fall into that trap of just thinking it's just every season at that point, every season under the Alums had been a better season than the season before. And there was just that thought of, well, there's no reason that this season won't be better again. Um, uh, yeah, look, as you say, I mean, you know, early in that season, if we'd sort of backed the players in to play week in, week out, maybe things would have been different. Um, probably about halfway through the season, we did start to have injury issues that unraveled the season somewhat. But you look at some of the names we signed that season, we'll, we'll go on and talk first departures and then signings, but you look at some of the names we signed that season and um, their players, you know, Harry Maguire, for example, playing for England just the other day against Iran, um, Robertson, Snodgrass, like these were some, you know, arguably all-time legends of the club that we, we picked up this window. Yeah, look, you're right. And, and probably, mate, I'd, I didn't probably appreciate until um, I was watching some random Europa League games about three years ago that if you got into that sort of final stages of that Europa League, you're starting to play, you know, like 10, 12 more games in a season. And I wonder going back in time at that point anyway is whether or not Brucey sort of had figured out that, okay, if we're good enough to get through here, um, when is it that I'm actually going to have a bigger squad to be able to play? I mean, 12, 10, 12 games is a quarter of a season. Um, when is it that we're actually going to be able to um, have more depth in our squad or more players? Like you said, we signed some great players um, in that second year. But going back to the first Premier League stint, we also made some big signings like a Bullard and these guys um, and still went down. Yeah. And um, I think the issue might have been there. It'd be really interesting one day if we could get Brucey to guest on the podcast, <laughs> if he could tell us whether or not he felt really hamstrung with the, literally the player numbers he had at that time um, to be able to um, do everything he wanted to do. Because he probably thought, to be honest, I actually think he probably thought at that time that this was a nice dream. We'll get knocked out and we'll get back to business. And that's yeah. maybe why he decided to, um, you know, play with that mix a little bit. But I still think in the end, uh, every game, every week should have just been treated like our last. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, talking about some of the players that came in, we'll, we'll talk first players that were released or, or left the club that summer. Um some big names there as well, because you know, on screen I've got um, we've got Matty Fryett who left, joined Nottingham Forest on a free transfer. Robbie Corrin, who who actually, <laughs> it's it's hard to to remember sometimes that he actually left from City in the Premier League and joined Melbourne City in the A League, um, which is like a, a reasonably rare move to make directly from the Premier League down down here. Um, and George Boyd joining Burnley, and and Boyd, I think that was pretty close to the end of the window, and it was almost as if it was a straight swap him out, Diami in, because I think they were pretty much the same transfer fee. Um, but amongst others, I mean, Proschwitz left. He he joined Brentford. Um, and then Abdullah Fire left as well. George Long, uh, not George Long, uh, Shane Long, um, of course, being sold to Southampton six months after we got him for, for twice the transfer fee was uh, probably the pick of the bunch of that summer business in terms of departures, at least. Um pretty remarkable but you know it's a, it's a that's a decent chunk of the squad that got us to the premier league and kept us in the premier league who we we turned over almost all at once yeah and and you you're right some of those um that you mentioned there i remember when long got sold i was gutted i know what a good piece of business it is selling the player just double 
Um, and in hindsight, it's always easy to look back. But that second season, we just couldn't buy a goal. And you sort of felt like, well, for six million bucks um, profit on a player, uh, wouldn't he be worth a million bucks a goal to stay in the league? Um, and so I remember, and also just the pace he had and so on. He, him and him and Yelovich looked like they were a dynamic duo. And I remember at the time thinking it was, you know, great that we were getting this money in the door and then we signed other players and this was good. But um, as good as some of those players were, selling long to me was almost like the, the nail in our Premier League coffin. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I've got pictured here, we've got Hernandez as, as one of the main signings that we brought in to replace Long. And I mean, it, it, he was an interesting one because it, it did seem, it was one of those deals that you see quite often with those sort of lower half of Premier League clubs where they'll splash out a lot of money on a player and if they stay fit and firing, it can end up being really good business. But it's always a bit of a gamble, especially bringing in like a sort of a foreign player who's not necessarily played in the league before for a, a huge chunk of your budget. Um, Hernandez sort of ultimately ended up paying off, I would say, in terms of his goals in the cha- in the championship in particular. But as you say, you, he only scored, I think, three or four goals in the Premier League. Uh, he was, you know, one of a number of players who sort of went missing over the winter months. And I don't want to be too stereotypical, but it does seem a bit of a South American trait. Um, I remember Giovanni before him similarly would sort of start the season like a house on fire and then go missing over the colder months. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's a hard one to, to say too much. I mean, yeah, in hindsight, I think you keep the Long and Yelovich partnership together. Um, but I guess after six months to be offered twice his um, transfer fee, it's hard to, to turn it down. And I think, mate, without derailing our whole podcast today, the key thing with that is why a lot of teams can stay up in the first year and go down in the second is that they balance the books at the end of that first year and go, oh, bloody hell, we are really overspent here to stay up and it's great to stay up and we've done all this wonderful stuff. But the first thing they say is, well, we need players and us as us as supporters demand big signings and an improved squad and all these sorts of things. I've got no doubt that Alan, the Alum said to Bruce, um, whatever you can bring in, you can spend. Um, yeah. And, and that was it. Well, I mean, in saying that, um, I think there was a famous quote from Paul McShane towards the end of the window to say, uh, hopefully the, the doors are closed, there aren't any more players coming in, because I'm sure he was looking at Harry Maguire coming in, Michael Dawson coming in from Spurs, challenging for his position inside. But some of the money we spent that window, I mean, we signed Livermore from Spurs for $8 million, Snodgrass from Norwich for $6 million, Maguire for 2 and a half, Robertson for almost $3 million, Dawson for 3 and a half. Hernandez for 10 and Diami for five. So we did spend a lot of money. And well, I think you're, I think you're right. I think probably more so in January onwards, I think the Alums were sort of saying we've, we've spent as much as we can. I do think there was an element that window in particular of saying, you know, everything we touch at the moment's turning to gold. The only way is up. What could go wrong? Let's push the boat out and see what we can do. And we saw it in the loan market as well with first Ramirez and Ben Arthur coming in on the same day, on deadline day, which felt like moves where the club basically just went, these players are top quality players on their day and let's see what we can do with them and we'll just bring them in and back the club to to get the most out of them. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think probably, I, I probably, you know, I used to put the boots into the Alums quite a bit. 
obviously, <laughs> most of us <laughs> at times. Um, but I think it's almost like all the owners get sucked into the same syndrome where it's, yep, sign him, yep, he's good, sign him, yep, he's good. The wage bill per week just snowballs. Then you get it sounds, the sounds a bit familiar with that, the, the window we've just experienced. Exactly, mate. <laughs> but then you end up with a situation where you have to sell a few players. The alums say, yeah. no, no, we're giving, we're giving Brucey a budget. But when you look at it, I remember when even when Matty Fry got released, clearly Matty um, was just lucky the fact that we had so many players cup-tied the year before. Yeah. Ended up playing in the FA Cup final, for example, and did a hell of a job. Um, sorry, in the semi-final, and did a hell of a job. When he used to come on, he was basically there and abouts. But there was talk back then, that, you know, when you go back in a wage sense, that Matty was on the bench, you know, basically dialing away at 20,000, 25,000 pounds a week. And that's because when they all got into the Premier League, the Allen structure was so bonus focused that every player got a wage wage increase of 15 to 30%, whether they were in the first 11 or not. And so I think probably what happened was even signing Livermore, for example, I know we paid good dollars for him, but when you've got, say, Fry and Corrin and Faye going out the door, you know, there's 50, 60, 65 grand off your wage bill per week. Um, sure, you've still got to pay 8 million for Livermore, but we probably weren't paying anywhere near that. So yeah. you start, it's almost like they're balancing the books weekly and we'll sort out the rubbish at the end of the season. When you look through just those names you went through, um, sure, Maguire and Robertson, you know, at the time were very massive signings in hindsight. Um, and Dawson probably is the pick of the bunch to some extent. But we still signed a lot of players that were either, you know, worth something. They weren't on huge coin. You know, McGuire yeah. and Robertson coming to us would have got a nice little deal and that's it. I don't even know what Dawson's wages were like at Spurs. But um, I suppose he's probably the only one that bucks the trend a little bit. But then you think about the PR and marketing side of it, having effectively an England international come straight into your squad and, end up being club captain, it's worth every penny. But I, yeah. I sort of feel like it, maybe this is where we ended up with um, Asaman versus Ehab type mentalities as well. You know, in the first few years they took over the club, I know we were in the pool, literally. Um, I didn't feel like we were making too many financial decisions wrong, even with players. But that's a lot of activity for a team that's just stayed up. Yeah, I think... I think when you look at the business, that window, you look at Robertson, you look at Maguire and you think that's good young players coming into the club with a lot of potential that you could potentially sell on for huge fees down the line. And we ultimately did. Then you've got your Hernandez, who at the time was also quite young, Uruguayan international, had a great season in Italy. And he, by and large, lived up to his price tag. And, you know, it was just the fact that the Allens like to wind contracts down and we ended up having him leave for nothing. Um, but he had a pretty strong season for us in the championship. Um, Diami was, well, I'd, yeah, it's hard to know what his wages were like, but he was he would have seemed to be relatively cheap and, and almost a straight swap for Boyd, offered a bit more in central midfield. Um, but as you say, I mean, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of gambles in the, the purchases. It was just, you know, I sort of alluded to this summer just gone, where you can almost look at each transfer in isolation and say, yes, they all make sense. You can tick them all off. Tom Ince, another one, you know, I think we got him for basically nothing from Blackpool in compensation, um, where you kind of look in, at them in, in isolation and go, yes, they sort of make sense. But then you go as a collective, 
it's just it's just the volume it's just the number of transfers just all of a sudden you know you know Livermore makes a lot of sense because it's someone that was there last season um it's that continuity it's someone that you know and can rely on Snodgrass another one you know strong strong set piece taker and you know obviously misfortune that he gets injured in the first game but it was just yeah I don't know it's it's one of those ones where you're sort of damned if you do damned if you don't you know you don't make the transfers you just keep the players that you had and you go down if you've got Fried and Corrin who are you know a bit slower a bit found out the second season around or you make all these signings and you go down because it's just they don't gel or you know one or two don't work or get injured or whatever um so it's just yeah I think it's one of those situations where it's hard to know what we should have done in hindsight um and I think it was just a lot of misfortune with injuries and other things that that were our downfall yeah look I agree mate and we all love Brucey for what he did um, but we've seen that syndrome continue at a couple of clubs since he's been on. That when there's a challenge of trying to get a team up from the championship, he's the man for the job. Absolutely knows the, the players, the networks, the contacts, the coaching staff, whatever it is. But as you'd remember, tactically, there was games where in the championship we pulled it off. You know, we'd throw four up front for the last 10 minutes and snatch a winner. Um he, he's, 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 he's clearly a good enough manager for a championship side, but I think it's the same with Phil Brown. I still think Phil Brown was a wonderful championship manager, but when you're in the Premier League and you're dealing with budgets and wages that are, you know, potentially five, six, seven times the amount and the focus is on you, not necessarily winning games, but making sure that you don't lose as many as the other two teams around you, um, it's just a different, different framework. And I think probably the only thing that happened that year, and we don't know the ins and outs, and even if Shane Long wanted to stay, you know, at that stage, Southampton were on the up and up. Um, and actually, that, he handed in a request himself. Well, that reminds me, I think there was talk that I think his girlfriend didn't like holes, so she wanted to leave. So it wasn't even necessarily that we <laughs> sold him against it. his wishes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. I think probably at the time, it was more just the fact that. There was, like you said, there was players like we all love Corrin to bits, but he did Premier League pace. Fryer yeah. was coming towards the end. Well, at the Premier League level, was definitely not there. Um, and Faye, well, age and physicality was getting the better of him. So I don't think there was any risk that we were going to have to turn over a few. I think it was yeah. more just the fact of who we actually. Uh, although Hernandez obviously ended up being a great signing for the long term, at that specific time we were a Premier League club and that was probably the thing that got us relegated was literally we played some good football that season. We just could not score goals. I think um, Jelovic won our golden boot with seven or six or something, mate. Like it wasn't good. So, yeah, that sounds um, familiar. So really then, other than... You know, and Diami was a good player, but I don't think he was going to score nine or ten a year anyway. Um, it was just unfortunate that Long went, basically, because I think if Long stays, we, we probably stay up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Um, I uh, I usually at the start of these episodes talk about the kit that I'm wearing and, and its place from that season. And the, I've got the away kit on at the moment um, with, unfortunately, Ben Arthur on the back of it because I... <laughs> Clearly didn't learn my, well, to be honest, I did learn my lesson because I had El Mohamedy from the promotion season and thought, you can get a lone player on the back of the shirt, it's fine, they'll work out and they'll sign permanently and it'll be a nice uh, collectible from, you know, their lone season. And 
after about three or four games with Benafra in the side, I sort of realized the error of my ways. But uh, yeah, not my finest moment and not a shirt that I bring out all too often. Um, but uh, I do have a, a Dawson shirt from this season as well. I'll, I'll wear that in the second half of these ones. Um, uh, very well, good, mate. And at least, <laughs> mate, is that, has the sponsor's logo stayed on? Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's all right. I guess probably because I just wear it so so infrequently. Uh, it's starting to fade a little bit. But, um, yeah, as, as those kits from that era are starting to wear out a little bit. But, uh, yeah. It's funny um, that our away kits for those, well, I mean, even obviously the black on black last year was was awesome. But we, we have a habit of having pretty damn special away kits. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, well, hey, look, we'll, um, we'll we'll round this off uh, talking about the results from that first half of the season. And uh, unfortunately, there's only three wins from that first half of the season. Um, the, you know, there's there's a couple of memorable draws in, in that half as well. When I look through the results, um, it's easy to forget uh, we did get back-to-back draws against Arsenal and Liverpool. I think I have a feeling that that Liverpool game, we might have actually had Jakubovic in goal. I feel like that was that game where um, I think... I think uh, McGregor had been injured and I think Harper was still our backup keeper at that point and he might have been injured as well. I seem to have a memory of Jakubovic in goal against Liverpool, um, just having a look at it now. Um, was it the away game? Yeah, that's right. It was the away game. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling. Uh, and I don't know. There's something about that away game that does make sense, mate, if he was, if you look it up, because I remember... Yeah, he was. He was. It was the one that the equivalent in our first tranche was when Liam Cooper got thrown to the wolves. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, no, the worst thing you can do is put our goalkeeper in, especially at the yeah. end to start a game. Um, but, um, yeah, didn't end up being but, uh, that problem. Ben, ben Arthur in the starting lineup, and he lasted 71 minutes, who can't have been too awful that day. But, uh, yeah, Hernandez and Ben Arthur up front uh, is it's a pretty – uncommon or unsighted city lineup but we, we did have the 2-2 with Arsenal the week before or the, the the game before that where they equalized in the 91st minute so it was sort of a couple of back to back you know this is sort of the revenge game after the FA Cup final and we almost stole all three points um, my memory of that game in particular was I think it was right after kickoff we passed the ball around for I don't know 15-20 passes where Arsenal just couldn't touch the ball and it culminated mm. in um, Huddleston putting the ball in for a brilliant Hernandez header. Um, and and we sort of looked like we were going to go on and win that game 2-1 in the end, but got pegged back right at the end. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think as well, probably the, the funny thing about that season was when I was just bagging Bruce for his tactics before, we actually had games where Bruce had us well drilled from the start as to what, you know, we were going to play. So I'd, you know, my memory's not that good, but I do remember there was games that season where we were chopping and changing formation. I, and I don't believe it was necessarily because of who um, who we were playing. It was more who Bruce felt we had the best chance with. Yeah. Um, and I remember, because I think if the, the Liverpool game made when Jakubowicz came in, I was pretty sure at that stage that he was, you know, dead set on continuing with that back three that we used to play. Remember we had yep. Dawson, um, uh, what was it? Dawson, Curtis Davies and Chester. Yeah. Because I always thought when Dawson came in, well, where's he going to stick Chester or, or Davies? But, of course, we ended up playing that back three for a while. And against the best teams, 
we actually used to hold up really, really well. Um, it was more just the fact that we couldn't beat the bottom two. Yeah, well, I'm just looking. Um, we had the draw with Stoke. I think that would have been the week before or the, the the weekend before the Europa game. And then we played Villa the following weekend, and that was the one that we lost. And I'm pretty sure that Villa game was Dawson's debut. And it was one of those typical awful debuts from a defender where you just think, geez, who have we signed or what's going on? Because he was just <laughs> – everything he did went wrong and then obviously went on to be quite a solid defender for us. But – um, my sort of, yeah, my lasting memory of that Villa game is, A, the fact that we just got a knocked out of Europe and uh, it was all just to lose to Villa up on, on the weekend, but also Dawson's debut in that one. Um, but we had a couple of entertaining 2-2 draws in a row as well. We had the 2-2 with West Ham where Hernandez again got a, a great header, Diami scoring on debut against his former club. Um, and then the following week against Newcastle, I don't know if you remember, that was the game where Jelovic scored that, I mean, I'd, I'd almost call it a bicycle yeah. kick or a scissor sort yeah. of kick, um, and the the army with a bullet from outside the box as well. Yeah, the, the Newcastle one was an interesting one because I remember thinking, you know, you have those moments where you're like, basically, we belong. We have yeah. the players that means we belong. You know, we've gone um, up to Newcastle. It was similar to um, oh, I forgot his name, the striker that scored that wonderful volley up at Newcastle as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you start thinking. I remember, I remember a few weeks later we were playing Chelsea, and I thought, why haven't Chelsea signed Aluko? Because he scores a magnificent goal against Newcastle, and he was running the back four around at Chelsea, and you're thinking, this guy's a yeah. genius. We won't hang on to him for very long. But the only thing about that Newcastle one that really hurt was the fact that I think we should have absolutely won it, and we bottled it. Yep, 73rd and 87th minute goals yeah. for Newcastle just to to wipe us off. Yeah, that was that was the frustration. That start of that season, as you say, it felt like we belonged and it felt like every game we were playing, we were, apart from probably that Villa game, I'm looking at that first five games, we beat QPR opening day, we drew with Stoke where I remember there was like a, a throw-in that should have gone to us that went to them um, yeah. and they scored basically. They ran up the other end and scored. Villa game, I think we got outplayed, but then West Ham, Newcastle, and even Manchester City, I think we, I think we actually, uh, what was it? Yeah, they they were up two nil pretty quickly, and then we equalised. We got to two two by half time. So in those first five or six games, or well, even seven games, because then we beat uh, Crystal Palace and then drew with Arsenal. Actually, so you could even say the first nine games up to that Liverpool draw, it felt like we belong in the Premier League. We're going toe to toe with the big clubs. We just couldn't get the wins on the board. And it was one of those exactly. starts to a season where you just think you've got to get the points on the board or it starts to unravel. Well, I don't know whether there's a coincidence in it. It'd be really good for the, the data analysts out there to have a look. But it seems like whenever you're in the Premier League, you, the underdogs have a real chance in the first, say, 10 or 11 games. And that might be while managers are trying to put squads together or they're trying to find their feet. And then it just drops away dramatically. But that year, I remember the Liverpool game, you know, getting a point at Anfield, it's huge. And then all yep. of a sudden we just fell off a cliff. It's almost like we started, you know, drinking our own bathwater and that was it. We were going to go on the slippery slope because there was games after that where we didn't just get beat. We were horrible. Yes, it lost six of our next eight. So we, we lost to, you know, your Southampton, Burnley, um, Chelsea, well, you know, Chelsea United as well but and Spurs, but then Swansea as well. There's probably two or three games there. You think if you turn those into wins, we stay up quite easily. Um 
Where yeah, that, did we only win two in the last half of the year or something? Was that, um, or was that no, the no. Premier League season? We, we actually had a That's better second half of the season. Yeah. yeah, okay. We won five of our five games in the second half of this season, only three in the first half. Okay. Um, so actually, amazingly, I mean, it, it, this season's almost the reverse of that first relegation where we actually played better at the second half. We just sort of slumped off at the wrong time. A couple of losses to Burnley really killed us, I think. Well, I'm trying to think who we were fighting with at the end there. So we went down Sunderland, Villa, us and Burnley were sort of 16th through to 19th. Um, so really we were only so we were three points off Sunderland and Villa with a much better goal difference than them. So you think if you turn, you know, any of those losses against your Burnleys or, um, you know, we lost to Leicester. Who that, There was that game we lost to Leicester. I mean, we're sort of jumping into the second half of the season here. But there was that game we lost to Leicester where I think Jelovic had almost an open goal where he... Um, he scuffed the ground. Or it might have been nil-nil with them. I can't remember. Um, no, I think I think they beat us. Where? Oh no, it was nil-nil. Yeah, where he scuffed a shot. Where if he if he put that shot away, we win that game. They then went on that huge run to finish the season, which kept them up, basically relegated us. And then of course they won the season. They won the title the next season. So it's one of those sort of swinging doors things, exciting doors things. Where you think Jelovic puts that sh- that shot away. We get the extra two points. They might not go on that that run, and things could be very different. But um, yeah, look, it's it was <laughs> we're sort of getting away from ourselves on that first half. But it it, it it was a it was a start of it was a start to a season that had a lot of promise. And I think, as we're sort of saying there, there's a lot of games where you know the the chances or the ability to kind of stay in the game and, and get the three points can suddenly change the season so dramatically. I agree, mate, and I'd be interested to see. I, I can't remember um, who and when, but did, who did we actually bring in in the window in January? The, yeah, J- Justin Doy. So he was the he was the one that we brought in, where he he kick started us, and we got those wins against Villa and QPR um, and Crystal Palace as well. I think he basically scored in all three of those wins, um, and really sort of gave us a chance of staying up, um, but. Uh, just yeah, wasn't to be in the end. Because that's, uh, I mean, that, that could be obviously what part of the problem is. You know, you look at that second half of the season. I know we won and we won more games than we lost. Uh, sorry, more games than we did in the first half. But that that run in the middle of that season was, I don't know if we picked up. I think we, we didn't win for two months or something, or three yeah. months. And you start thinking, well, what do you, you know, as a manager or owners, what are you going to, how are you going to resurrect this? And it was almost like in the window, although, like you said, we brought Doy in, didn't do much else. Yeah, that's right. And that's, and that's sort of what I was referring to before as well, I guess, where you think you've spent so much in the summer, you almost can't afford to spend anything in January, or you don't want to risk spending more in January and it's still going wrong. Um, so it's almost by, by accident or or just by by good fortune that the Indoy move worked out as well as it did, um, but it, it it's one of those seasons where I think if everyone stays fit, as as I sort of said before, you you look at each of those transfers and you think it was it, they were all good moves. It just didn't work through one reason or another. And and the worry is, uh, without wanting to sound too alarmist, it feels a bit of an echo with the current season where we brought yeah. in a lot of good players, but they're injured, they're not gelling in the side. And you can have all the right intentions, make all the right moves, but just sometimes in football, it just comes down to good or bad luck. 
Oh, mate, agree. And, and, and talk about luck, um, I'm pretty sure, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it already, but I'm pretty sure that that last few games, that last month of that season, or last five games, let's say, um, I'm pretty sure Yellowbit didn't play, didn't play, he was injured. He did his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I know I, he, I, he came back, I think, for the last game. He might have come back for the last game or something, but we, we lost him for about six weeks there or five weeks. I want to say, was it week? I don't even know who was in the Premier League at the time. I'm sure there was a game where we played Harry Maguire up front because Hernandez, Jelovic, and maybe Tom Ince or someone were all injured or all unavailable. I'm sure there was a game we played Harry Maguire up front, which was just ridiculous. <laughs> well, I know. I don't know about the whole game. I know definitely the Arsenal game at the Emirates that Jelovic had his blind tonight. Yeah. That was the night as well that Harry Maguire went up front in the second Is that half. the FA Cup? Yeah. Because we played them in the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember he played up front in the second half um, and the commentator saying something about it. But, um, yeah, it was... Uh, and that, I think, if I remember... I'm, I'm positive we had no out-and-out striker except for Indoy. Um, yeah. Avail- like, well, probably leading the line, let's say. Um, because we're sort of having a laugh as to whether Sagmo should get another run. Um, but, yeah, it, it was just a weird end to a season, if I remember, because we sort of knew the writing was on the wall, but every time we got close to doing something, um, you know, we got an injury or, you know, we thought Hernandez might really step up and he didn't. And, um, you just, it's what happens when you get relegated, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll do another episode before um before the season resumes. We'll do the second half of the season in more detail. But yeah, this is definitely one of those seasons. It's hard to talk just the first half because it's so linked with what happened in the second half, um, especially with the signings that we made. Um bit of a it, it's a bit of a challenging season to talk about because it's it's not as optimistic, it's not as exciting as the previous seasons. It's a bit more uh, a bit more of a negative one. But uh, look, thank you for joining me to talk about it as we did. Thanks, Alex. No worries. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Um, we're, as I said, we'll try and be back to do another one of these before the World Cup break finishes. Um, we'll have our review of that Reading fixture um, probably in our preview episode um, as we're coming out of the World Cup break. So stay tuned for that one as well. But until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Odds. The music was created by Amber and Black. All the city's on fire Where the burning desire Tigers are roaring and destiny's calling Cause now is the time Yeah, the city's on fire Going higher and higher There's no turning back